Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I'm jumping in here real quick to tell all of you that this episode and those after this one will contain spoilers for Ghoul's Fatal Addiction Servitude. If you haven't listened to that yet and don't want to have spoilers, go ahead and listen to Ghoul's Fatal Addiction Servitude first, and we'll see you back here after that. In the cold winter of 1989, a Sabat pack who has suffered an immeasurable loss is given an ultimatum. Go to the Twin Cities of Minnesota, investigate why a deeply embedded pack has stopped reporting back, or meet their final death. This is Vampire the Masquerade, Twin Cities by Night, Sorrow, a tale of loss and regret that follows the Sabat pack known as The Nothing. Join us with Becca playing Linda, a Milkavian anti-tribute, Craig playing Jake, a panda, Jorian, playing Abigail, a Ravenous anti-tribute, Monica, playing Jenny, a Shimizu, and Slavic, playing Charlie, a Buha anti-tribute, and Chris, as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore btm, or on Facebook and Discord as Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. All right, so where we left off, Abigail, Linda, and Jenny, you are in this hotel room with this individual, this six foot two, slightly overweight, has long, greasy black hair that goes down to his shoulders, sort of balding on top, has a thick black beard, had one intense gray eye. The other was recently put back into his eye socket by Jenny. There's scar tissue that is all over his chest. And there was even scar tissue that completely covered his empty eye socket. You're able to piece together, Jenny, from this interaction that you had with him, that in that blood of his, carried on from generations, being tied to your clan, being tied to the blood, that he had the ability to somewhat heal himself a little bit. When you are done putting that eye back into him and your fingers slowly come out of his flesh and you see the eye adjust itself as it focuses on you, and the pupil dilates a little bit, you can see straight into his chest because you're about chest height to him. And you see the pink scar tissue that goes along it. And you realize that he slightly has the same abilities that you have. What are you thinking at this moment when you're looking at him and looking at his chest like that after you've done your work on him? Jenny is trying to think back to everything that was learned from Felix mostly, but also Paya, trying to see if she can figure out what this man is because he doesn't feel like kin. He doesn't feel like the undead, but he also has abilities that no regular human should ever have. Yeah. You know, and in game terms from last session, we had you roll perception and occult, I believe. And you're able to tell that he is what's called a revenant where basically he is from a family, a long line of people who are mortals who serve the Shimize clan where through blood being introduced, almost like in a process of ghouling and through breeding, that these lines of morals are tied to your clan. And his is one of them, where they have a very minute ability with the blood, but they are still mortal. And sometimes they are brought over. You know, he said that this goddess of veneration who he served was his great, 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 great grandmother and was brought over. So she too was a revenant at one point before she was embraced. But you know, though, that for a lot of people, 
in the sword of Cain, having a ghoul like that is kind of looked at as taboo. That may happen, but it's not something that is common as you hear from these quote unquote kindred that you've heard about that are in other cities who are part of this other political organization who have different belief structures. But that's what you know while you're looking at him. What are you going to do? Jenny is staring at his chest and then looking at his eyes. And part of her knows that his very existence is sort of taboo. It's no-no in some ways, but part of her sees him as an asset, not only information-wise, but at the end of the day, all four of us are fresh blood. He not only has been around longer, he knows the territory. He may help us. So Jenny kind of wants to keep him with her. Yeah. And you know that this is different than what you've heard of these, you know, kindred or what you were told in Montreal, maybe by Paya and Felix about how kindred take these mortal pets and try to pretend they're mortals. But you as a canine, you know that this line that this man is from has specifically been bred and molded to serve your clan you, you, if, as well as you know your clan. Again, these are all stories. These are all things that have been passed down verbally from one mouth to another to you. And now you're kind of seeing it in stark reality in front of you. And you see when he's looking down at you, though, he has this lack of a better term of reverence when he looks at you. You know that he feels drawn to you. He knows that you are greater than him. He knows your nature and he respects it and he almost adores it in an unhealthy way. He even kind of slightly shakes while staring down at you while his body is still recuperating from the shock that was, you know, his eye being introduced back into him. Something where a normal mortal would probably go into shock or have serious psychological damage from having someone shove their fingers into their eyes like that. This man almost looks as if he's been touched by a god. A gift has been given to him. One god that he served, he knows is dead, but now another opportunity may lie before him to serve another maybe to get in good graces, maybe to be brought over like you at one time. So he's staring down at you. You can smell the rank breath that still has the fumes of the cheap whiskey that he was drinking before you offered to give him back his eye. And he's panting a little bit, almost like that uncomfortable moment where you are with a lover for the first time and you don't know if that boundary is going to be crossed. You see that he's staring at you like that. Now, of course, I'm not saying you feel that way, but you can see there's an intensity with him right now when he looks down at you. What are you doing? That sort of intensity does make her uncomfortable, makes her a little awkward, especially since previously he threw himself at her feet. So she's trying to keep herself distant from him. But at the same time, she's thinking we can use this guy. At least he knows the area better than any of us know the area. He may have local contacts. He's someone that we can use to either get more information or do tasks for us during the daytime where we are unable to. So she keeps her arms out to give him some distance and she'll say, look, I appreciate your dedication to the clan. I appreciate your reverence, but I am not your mistress and I require space. You cannot cling to me. I don't want you breathing on me. I require your respect as much as I will give you my respect. Is there anything else that you haven't told us or otherwise we'll be on our way? You see, there's a moment where he like, collects himself especially with your words. Not that they sting, but they put him in his place and he knows his place. So he takes his right hand and he puts it through his greasy black hair to almost like get it out of his eyes to like recollect himself. And he takes his other hand to warm it back there and he puts his arms down and he takes a deep breath. Yeah, 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 I understand. Like, 
uh, all I know is what I told you. I could show you where that place is, but if you want me to serve you, I will serve the blood, or I'll go back to Georgia where I'm from. If that's what you want me to do, I can catch a bus and be out of here. It's whatever you want from me. I serve you and I serve the blood. Who's the guy in the bathroom? And there's a moment where he kind of looks, it's almost like when you caught your kid doing something that was wrong. You ask him, you kind of know there's a second where he's trying to think of excuses. You see his eyes, they roll up and jet back and forth like he's thinking. He looks down at you and you kind of sense the sense of relief because he knows he's about to just tell you the truth. I have urges. He's my thing. You just killed him? No. He says no, and you see a smirk come across the corner of his lips as he looks down at you. I want you to tell me exactly what you did. I mean, there's a moment where he, like, eyebrows raise inquisitively, and he's like, I had my fucking way with him. I had to keep myself occupied here. Is that wrong? I got urges. Jenny's going to take another step back when she hears that, and she's just going to shake her head a little bit in disgust. And she's going to say, so there's nothing with the man in the bathroom connected to your mistress's disappearance. Otherwise, what you do on your own time doesn't reflect on us. No, he has no connection to her, but he has a connection to me. She's going to look around at Linda and Abigail and kind of raise her eyebrows a little bit to show that she's very uncomfortable here. When you look over to Abigail, her eyes are not normal anymore. Her eyes are a little bit bigger than they should be. Do you all want him? I offer him to you. He can be my offering to you three. I have no need for him anymore. I'll find another one. There are a dime a dozen. Jenny is now completely out of her element. She's looking at this disgusting man. She knows what's happened in the bathroom. And now Abigail looks like a cat who's seen a ball of yarn or an injured bird and she's ready to pounce. She knows that once Abigail gets into that mood, there's nothing she can really do to stop her. So she's going to look at the man and just shake her head and say, head on outside. Linda, you're coming with us. We're going to check on Jake. Abigail, just make it quick. Don't be too messy. The man goes up to a closet. You see him take out this plaid shirt, which he puts on and buttons up, and he grabs this tan Dickies thick jacket that he puts over it. And he takes his beanie and gloves that he has in the top of this hotel room closet. And he puts the beanie, a thick black one, over his head to cover his ears. And he puts on the gloves and he opens the door. And he just like kind of waits for you, Jenny, to walk out as he holds the door. Jenny is going to gently hold Linda's hand, turn around and walk outside, say, let's go, Linda. Let's go see how Jake is doing. Linda will firmly hold on to your hand just kind of being that reassuring presence to you as he opens the door abigail you feel the cold wind kind of blow in it's not snowing but you can feel the crispness of the outside as they both jenny and linda walk out and you see this man who's holding the door turns and looks at you and there's a moment where you kind of feel connection with them abigail he has that same look of serving that he gave jenny but not on that weird existential level that he had with jenny but he's looking at you and there's almost a nod he gives you like enjoy a nod of appreciation as he slowly walks out the door and shuts the door behind abigail you're standing in this room by yourself where but not five minutes ago you were stopping jake from attacking that man you see these empty hotel plastic cup 
that are either serving as ashtrays or have remnants of cheap whiskey in them. You see that mirror that was taken down and put on that round little table that has lines of cocaine that are still somewhat on there. The TV's still on as you glare at the TV and you see local news on, but the volume's down. And you can still smell that iron magnetic smell of semen and sex that wafts in that room along with the body odor, sweat smell, like the windows hasn't been open. What are you doing right now? What's going on in your head? Don't think there is much going on in her head. She looked at the guy leaving the room and then snapped right back, looking at the door to the bathroom. Her feet didn't move an inch. So slowly, but very sure of herself, she is stepping towards the bathroom, not paying attention to anything else in that room anymore. So you walk towards this bathroom. And you walk by the the beds on the right of this room and like the TVs on like this dresser on the left. You walk towards the bathroom and there's a little mini fridge that's on the left that you walk past. And you see to your right, there's a door. That's the bathroom door. And you can see the cheap wood that it's made out of. And you hear from within it a slight whimpering, a muffled sound. Your hand reaches out on its own accord almost and grabs that cheap brass knob and slowly turns it and pushes this door open when the door opens straight ahead you see a tub that is along the wall and you see what you think is a grown man that's in the tub you only see his shoulders and half his chest as he's like leaning against the wall of the tub his feet are hanging out of it towards the faucet and that cheap stainless steel you see his face looks battered and bruised His eyes look swollen both, and his nose looks busted. His lips look all thick. He has blonde, stringy hair that is somewhat longer, like the man that you just saw. And he has a beard that seems to be thinner that's going around his jaw. If you were to try to guess his age, you would assume that he might be in his late 20s. You smell fecal matter coming from the tub along with blood and the smell from that room. And as the door opens, you see the figure kind of like slowly tilt his head. And you see him like looking at you and he can't really focus. He can't even really make out his eyes because his eyes are so swollen and shut. And then you see his mouth open a little bit. And you see, help, as he kind of says out of his throat, I need you to roll me a self-control roll, please. Difficulty six. And this is for the Ravenous flaw, by the way. That's why it's that high. Managed to get one success. So when you see the figure say help, you're staring down at it. You could still act upon your vice. This was just to see if you completely lost yourself to it. And you see his figure. When you open the door and you step into it, and that sharp fluorescent light casts upon this figure in this tub, it's a different lighting than that was just out there in that room. It's more sharper, more bright, more alive. And when that figure turns and says, help, it kind of echoes a little bit through this bathroom on the cheap tile, on the linoleum of the sink and and the toilet that's to the left of the room. And there's a moment where you stop. Because this seems more clear. It's not as dim. You're not caught in that mood out there that you saw. Where you saw Jake almost lose it. Or where you saw this figure get his eye put back in there. Where you saw Jenny was given reverence. When you were really kind of tapping into the beast. Now it's just you and this figure alone. What's going on in your head right now with all this is happening? Now that, now that you feel like you're, you stop for a second. As you hear that figure talk. His voice breaks through the silence. And it also breaks through the trance that Abigail was in. Just because of her voice. Because all of a sudden it dawned on her while the Revenant was talking. There is a person 
somewhere that cannot go anywhere and her vice took over. But she snapped out of it and she's just thinking, shit, no, it's happening again. No, gotta go. Wouldn't she be able to just slam the door and bolt? Yeah, I would say because you passed your self-control role. If you would have failed, it would have taken over. But I would say, yeah, there's a moment where it's a sharp reality equivalent of like when any person at whatever age they may be, where they're discovering themselves or they're coming out of their childhood or where they're confronted with with where they have to do something on their own separate from the pack. I mean, you see it in these teenage movies all the time where you're like, oh, the boy who's going to get laid for the first time is separated from his friends and he has to make that choice. And oh, it's awkward and scary. That with a lot of different things too, you know, where your pack, your friends, your your family will say, go, you are one, go do this on your own. And then you're hit with reality. And that's what ha- is happening to you right now. You kind of realize like, oh shit, this isn't what I was just caught up in. So you close the door. You hear like a gentle sobbing, like that figure on the other end thought for a second that there was someone there to save him, get him out of God. Who knows what happened to that man in there? Only our imagination could do the work there. As you're standing staring at the door what are you doing right now yeah i'm running towards the rest i cannot be alone in here anymore so you run towards the door and you open up the door to come out of it and jenny and linda you guys are actually kind of caught off guard because you are just getting to where you're going to open up the door and figure out who's going to sit where and you both see abigail come out of the hotel room i need you both to roll me a perception and empathy roll please difficulty six linda got three successes you have any luck there, Jenny? Negative one. Oh, you botched. Okay. Abigail, you, you open the door and you feel like this cool rush of the winter. It helps make you present, make you in the moment. You're not so lost in your thoughts or lost in what was going on in there. And you close the door. Linda, right away, when you hear the door close, you look at her, you sense automatically that she's scared. She's intimidated that whatever went in there wasn't as planned. And Jenny, when you look, you're like, oh, that was quick. Awesome that's not messy maybe it was quick and over with she looks like she had herself i made the right call so that's what you guys feel right now so the scenes on you guys as you guys are both standing out there in this figure whose name you still don't know is standing with his hands in the jacket waiting for you three to figure out what's going to happen go ahead scenes on you guys linda will lock eyes with abigail focus on the next step keep moving forward okay yes uh let's go now Let's not stay here. Jenny is going to turn, look at Abigail, kind of raise her eyebrows impressed. And she's going to reach over and give her two pats on the shoulder, like saying, what a good girl. And then she's going to say, we need to check with Jake. We need to decide our next steps. And then she's going to kind of side eye the greasy man and then look at Linda and Abigail and say, and we need to decide what we're going to do with him. Yes, but can we please do that? At the car? Yes, we'll go to the car. We're checking on Jake. Don't be so eager. And Linda, continuing to hear the uncertainty in Abigail's voice, she'll do a tight squeeze on Jenny's hand because she hasn't let go yet. And she'll do the tight squeeze and then move over to Abigail and put the arm around her. She's trying to cozy up to her to look warm and then just start walking together. Just being that presence there, trying to give her a sense of safety. So you guys are walking towards this van. Jake, you are sitting in the back of the van and you can see these three walking out with a figure behind them. What you're starting to put together is the person from the hotel room with the jacket and a beanie on. 
What's going on in your head right now when you see these four coming towards you? Man, Jake's probably just came out of a rush because last thing he knew, he was having a panic attack, thinking that he left his family alone with this maniac. And as soon as he opens up his eyes and sees that they're all seemingly okay, he probably bolts out of the seat and opens up the door real quick and says, oh, oh, thank God. Thank God you guys, you're okay. Of course we're okay. Why wouldn't be? Are you all right? I, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Of course I'm fine. Um, and he quickly changes the subject. What's he doing here? We're trying to decide what to do with him. He has given us all the information that we needed. The man in the bathroom was really not useful to us in any way, and Abigail took care of that. But um, now we're deciding uh, as a group on what to do with this man. He knows the area better than us. He may have contacts that we can tap into, or at the very minimum, he can do things for us during the daylight or guard us. He's very devoted. We should decide as a group whether we should just let him go. His plan is to return to Georgia, or if we want to keep him with us. I'm not sharing a room with that thing. I don't care. Give grocery list or whatever, but he's not He's not staying with us. We know where to find him. Jenny, the guy in the bathroom is still in the bathroom. I, I thought you went in there too. What happened? I don't I don't know. I, I thought so too, but I, I couldn't. It's okay, Abigail. You're fine to walk away. Jake is going to walk towards Abigail and give her a big warm hug. It's okay. Abigail starts shaking. It's not really crying because there's no blood tears coming out, but there is the movement of crying. The sobbing of crying is definitely there. Does Jake normally do that? Hug his pack members like that? Is this in Jake's nature? I guess I'm asking. Like, or is it due to the 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 panic and anxiety that he was feeling? A little bit of both. I think the panic and anxiety, whatever sort of episode he experiences, is probably urging him to be more caring towards Abigail because it's not like he has an incredibly high Valdery score for him, but he cares for her still. Yeah, for sure. So on that note, I'm going to have Linda and Jenny again roll the same roll that you roll, perception and empathy roll, please. Difficulty six. Would this fall under insightful for perception or empathy for deep motivations? Yes. Three successes. So if I'm doing math right, I think that's only one success. If you roll a 10 and then roll one afterwards, it doesn't cancel anything out. So Ah, uh, okay. Then two. You both. And I would think you a little bit more so, Jenny, because of the connection you have with Jake, can tell Jake is being clingy right now. And Jenny, you even saw a little bit of that when he like slid open the van door and was like, oh my God, you know, where you guys are. Something's going on with Jake right now. And it could just be the tension. It could just be whatever. But I don't want to say like, ooh, you know, something got hit Jake and he's different. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that. This is out of his normal behavior right now. I did just almost frenzy and just tear, tear out of there like a few yeah. minutes ago. So yeah, that could be it too. He's definitely like, I would even say Linda a little bit more due to your clinical background. You can kind of see like panic and anxiety a little bit rising up in him, especially how he acted there, but it could be very well. Yes. Tied to how he almost frenzied there for sure. At seeing Jake hug Abigail and Abigail say that she didn't take care of the man in the bathroom. Jenny takes a a second to kind of collect her thoughts to see what's really going on. She sees Linda, you know, she had her arm around Abigail. So it's starting to click that Abigail's in distress. And now Jake seems like he's in distress. 
since to Jenny, Jake is her partner and Abigail is almost like her daughter. Now she's a little bit upset with herself for not having seen something that even someone like Linda picked up on and half the time her head's in the clouds. So she's going to walk over and do like a little group hug with Jake and Abigail, even though her arms don't quite fit around them both because she's so lanky. So she's going to hug them both and she's going to say, Abigail, it's okay. He'll probably die on his own or someone will come find him. He didn't see who we were. He doesn't know who we were. It's fine that you didn't do what you wanted to. It's fine. It's probably better even because there's less cleanup for us to do. And Jake, we're all fine. We're all safe. You're safe. We're about ready to get in our van and going to our mission. So maybe we should just take a second here to collect ourselves before we get on our way. Okay. I just, there's something about that thing. I, I don't like him. He's like standing 10 feet away, by the way, doing the thing, you know, they do in the North where they take their boots and kind of like grind the grit that's on the road to kick away ice. He's just kind of standing there. Jake will look up from Abigail's shoulder, kind of look past and like, he'll notice the guy is still there and then give him like a very angry look and then quickly avert his gaze back to Jenny and Linda. Well, if we can't find a use for him, then he's fine to go to Georgia. I don't know. Uh, I suppose we might need some more duct tape or clothes at some point. Why don't you, why don't you just give him a shopping list? And if it's going to make him feel useful and stay out of our hair. Okay. Uh, Linda, Abigail, do you all agree to that? Most definitely. I think it'd be very useful to have him around and help us. And Abigail is wiping her eyes, even though there's nothing really there. She says, mm, yeah, we'll be okay. I think that's smart. Okay. Then it's settled. So Jenny walks through the snow a couple feet towards the man. She stands tall and she says to him, we have temporary use for you. You are not allowed to stay with us. You can stay here in your area. Don't bring attention to yourself. No more victims in the bathtub, please. If the cops get to you, then you're of no use to us. One of us will contact you when we need anything immediately. She's going to reach into her pocket and pull out one of the back in the 90s you had those uh, matchbooks that had the hotel information on it phone number she's gonna slide it to him and say we need this much duct tape we need large black trash bags to block our windows we'll have someone stop by before the night is done to pick it up stay here stay quiet And if you need us, you know where to reach us. But aside from that, we don't need you to look into us anymore. So she's going to pause and take a look at Linda and kind of lean in towards the man a little bit and say, and if you can find it anywhere, those little decorative soaps that are shaped like things, you know, seashells and such, put them in a separate bag and we'll pick them up. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Was my offering not good enough for her or? Can I still have my thing in the bathroom? You can have it. Just don't draw attention to yourself, okay? Yeah, I'm good. I've been in the city deep like a tick for a long time. I got one question to ask of you, lady. What do you need? When do I get my reward from you? And what do I call you? Jenny's going to pause, look back at Jake, because she's (laughs) worried that Jake is going to flip out again. And she's going to uh, assess Jake's face and then turn back to the man, feeling that the more the man asks these types of questions, the more likely Jake is going to be to just pounce on him and rip his throat out. So she's going to say to him, 
what kind of reward are you looking for? And you may call me Jenny. Jenny. You can tell like the, the volume you're having the conversation and they can't really hear 10 feet away through the wind and all that, which is probably best for him. He's, I'm talking about the blood that runs both of us. I yearn for I haven't had in a quick minute since my goddess died, disappeared. I need it. Jenny's going to nod for some reason for her since she drinks blood. It's really not a big deal to her. She's going to nod and say, when you get our things, I'll come by and pick them up and then we'll do our exchange. Okay. And you see like his look lingers down at you. In that room, he was in total reverence to you. But now standing out in the real world in the cold, having you ask of things and knowing that he's going to get something in return. You could see like he's looking down at you almost like not in like a total sexual nature, but in the fact that like he knows you are trying to put this very business transact. You give me what I need. You'll get the blood. But he knows and even, you know, but he knows that this blood is more than just a transaction, that this blood is the core of everything and his life and his bloodline and his family and you and your existence and the existence of your pack. But he sees that you're trying to put this business ring on it and he's looking down at you, not disrespectful, but with a smirk. Because he knows that what you're this coding you're trying to put around it to protect yourself and to keep it at whatever level you're trying to keep it at, he sees through it and he knows it's just that. And he just nods to you and he turns around and he walks back to the hotel room. And you see him like take out keys out of his pocket and you see him unlock the door and you see the door open up, the light come out, and then the door close again as you're left there 10 feet away from your pack. So what are you doing right now? Jenny feels kind of the chills. This guy is just so gross. She's going to turn around first and she's keeping her face very neutral, very businesslike, as you said. And she's going to first look at Jake and then at the other two. And she's going to rub Abigail's back gently as she talks to the other two and say, I sent him out for the essentials. I'll have to come to pick things up before the night is over. He knows that we're staying at the hotel, but I didn't tell him exactly what room etc so i think it'd be best that way i don't want him knowing exactly where we are but he does have the phone number in case he needs to phone us and reach us if we happen to be in the room let's follow up on some leads and before the night's over i'll come get our supplies and meet you guys back in our room what did he know he didn't tell us anything of importance other than he gave us a place that we should look into and we'll discuss that in the car i don't feel exactly safe talking about it out in the open abigail can fill us in all right and jake will break away and open up the doors let probably linda back into her seat you hear the door of the van slide and lock into place linda's sitting in that middle back seat jake is in the back abigail's shotgun jenny you start up the van you can feel the heat coming through the van heater as you guys slowly drive out of this parking lot where are you heading right now? Are you heading to the location on the map that he circled off where he said that he would drop off this goddess of veneration? I'd say it probably is like 1030 right now. Oh, we have plenty of time. Yeah, I would look around and after Abigail catches Jacob with what happened after he left, they, I think our next bet should be to follow on that spot that he gave us. We have plenty of time. Yeah, I think so too. Oh, and Jenny... I, I, I know you said that you would pick up the stuff, but it doesn't feel right if you go alone. So please take one of us with you. Yeah, you know, it's it's not a bad idea when you say it. 
Jenny's going to be quiet for a moment because on the one hand, she agrees with them, but she doesn't want Jake anywhere near this guy. And she can't afford to have Abigail near that guy in the bedroom. So she's going to look in the rear view mirror at Linda, just sitting in the, in the middle of the back seat, and say, Linda can accompany me. It'd be nice to have some time one-on-one. Jake will nod approvingly at this. Abigail will look down at her hands and say, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that seems right. She's going to reach over to Abigail and pat her on the knee and just whisper to her, look, you know what, bring you. But your Baba right now, he's not well. And I and I need you to be the one to make sure that he's okay. All right. I can't have you with me and leave him behind with Linda. And if something were to happen to him, I'd never forgive us. So you need to be the one to take care of Baba while Linda and I go pick up the supplies. Okay. Yeah, I'll take care of Jake. So you guys, to reaffirm what was discovered when you talked to this man, just to kind of clear it up in your memories, he said he served this goddess of veneration who, at this point, if people don't know, players all know, but listeners don't know, is the figure that was in Ghoul's Fatal Addiction Servitude that was in the trailer. We found out it was a Shimaze that was part of this pack called Strata Black, where she was catatonic but would speak to him he would say in his soul or in his head and she would tell him in that way to take him to this location that he marked off on this map lay her down on the sidewalk at night in front of this office strip mall office and he would drive away and then in his dreams a few days later a week later would have an impression that he needed to go back there and pick her up and he would go there and she would be laying on that ground at night no one would be in that office and he would pick her up and leave now, he knew that she was part of a pack, like you guys are part of, but he never questioned. She always kept him separate from it. And retrospect, Jenny, you probably know because he's a revenant. And most Sabbat members don't want to be around mortals, look at them like cattle. She didn't want her tool probably to be interacted at all like that. And he also served other purposes if you saw in Ghoul's Fatal Addiction, where he would bring people to her as if he was her pimp, selling her off and have people go there for whatever reason. So now you have this map of the Twin Cities, Abigail, in your hand, one of those fold-out maps made of the real thin, flimsy paper that people used to use to get directions. And you have it kind of like opened up while you're trying to use this overhead light and you're trying to figure out how to get to this location. You are driving down the streets of Minneapolis right now. Not a lot of people are out and about. Now, it is not snowing like it was when you came into town, but definitely the roads are slick. Snow plows have gone through. You see snow drifts on the side. And for the most part, it's also a weeknight. It's like a Monday night right now. So there's not like a lot of people going about. For about 35 minutes, you're driving. Before we get to this scene, I got to ask each of you a question. I'm just curious. First, I'll ask Linda. Linda, what's going on in your head right now with all the stuff that you have found out? The room, the counter, the roll, seeing what you saw. As you're sitting there and Jenny's driving, what's going on in your head right now? There's a swirl of stuff. At some points, Linda will be thinking about, you know, what we're doing next, focusing on, hey, this vampire is dead, but that doesn't mean the pack. It's like, what's going on? What that sort of stuff. And then as she's looking between her pack mates a little bit, and like occasionally she'll look back at Jake, just kind of check up on him, just to be aware of what he's doing. She recognizes that there's a lot of emotions going on tonight, and she's also reveling in that. 
She's excited that they're expressing themselves and making choices, good choices. And um, she's actually really proud of Jenny because she really stepped up. That was such an uncertain situation and she took care of us. And Linda's kind of just looking up at her for that. And then it kind of flits to just overdriving mindlessness thinking. The whole point of seeing them show another emotion other than sorrow that they were showing. I know it sounds crazy, but Jake being anxious, Jenny being empathetic, Abigail being like, oh, you know, what is different than like the flat pattern that you guys were feeling. Not even but the night before. This kind of this not being stuck in mud. You said when when you all were tasked, like this is good. It'll get us out. This is a new beginning, all this stuff. And now you're seeing people coming out of their shells emotionally and showing something other than depression or whatever. And it excites you because that's your medium there. That's your currency. That's who you are. That's what you were before and kind of still who you are now, you know, even though the changes are different. Abigail, what's going on while you're trying to navigate for Jenny? Like what's going on in your head? Abigail is trying to move forward. She almost lost herself again. And that's just not a feeling that she really enjoys. It's a need inside of her to kill, but it doesn't mean that she enjoys doing that. So she'll try and stop that as much as possible. So there's that and a little bit of guilt towards her pack for not doing what she set out to do. But she's trying to keep distracted by looking at the map and trying to figure out the city. That's the thing, too. How long can you run away? Do you have the energy to do this for eternity? Keep running as long as she can. Yeah. And I'm sure it's pretty fucking scary. Like, what happens when you're not running? Are you not supposed to run? I mean, if you look at that little boy who brought you over and the visions that you saw and the spiel that you're given about adding to the collection of faces and adding to the collection for a greater cause, that it's your curse to bear for what you do. I mean, that's scary because you're kind of like fighting against fate right now. While you're successful right now, there's a lot of nights that potentially are in your future there. And there's only so many maps and only so many places you can keep yourself distracted with before it'll finally catch up to you. Poor Abigail. Jake, you're in this back seat right now. What's going on in Jake's mind? Jake at this point is probably trying to hide his emotions because he's he kind of like missed the big thing that and revelation that happened in the room, but now he's back and he's anxious. He doesn't like this new tool that the club that the pack seemed to have picked up, but he acknowledges that yeah, there's useful on purposes of have someone who's able to make daytime Walmart runs, but he doesn't like it in his mind. We're, we're just driving to this place that this wretch just pointed out on a map and he doesn't know what we're going to find. There's just a lot of unknowns and he, he feels just really anxious about um, everyone else going into this, but he doesn't want to show that off. Is his anxiety like doing the whole spiraling, taking one little thing and going, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and kind of spiraling out that way? Or is it just a general sense of, like I said, unease and not rooted, being in a strange land, you know, right now, in a strange vehicle, going to a strange place kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's more the general one because he doesn't know what they're going to find. And part of him wants to just not find anything so they can just report back and go back to living their lives. But he knows that they have to do something or else there's this big bad archbishop that's probably going to kill him 
So is Jake in a way grateful for his existence before this night? Is that in a roundabout way making him kind of wish, oh God, I wish I could go back just to being a blood sucking vampire in the city. Is it a way for him to start accepting like his nature being confronted with this upheaval right now? Or is he not at that stage yet? I don't think Jake knows what he wants. He knows he wasn't happy playing house. He knows he wasn't happy being told what to do. The only times he feels really happy or at least not angry or penitent or whatever, when he's lying in bed with Jenny or talking to Linda about God knows what. It's a weird feeling for him. And he doesn't like being the guy who's showing the weakness of not knowing what to do. So in this car ride, would he be trying to actively hide how he's feeling or would he be trying to find comfort in like talking to Linda or trying to, like you said, you talk to him and it brings you comfort. But then you also said earlier, you're trying to like kind of hide your anxiety right now, how you're feeling. He's actually wanting to talk to Abigail about Linda's episode the previous night. So that's kind of making it hard for him to converse with Linda. But now then Abigail just seemed to have her own episode. So he's not exactly sure how he's going to approach this because it seems like half his pack or all his pack now, um, including him, are just being torn in different directions and he just doesn't like the feeling. So he's probably plucking random strings on his guitar, trying to tune it even though it doesn't need tuning or something. I would say almost it's like making the anxiety worse. I can't talk to her now. I can't talk to her now. Well, I can't talk to her now. Oh, now it's just me here. makes that you feel kind of alone right now. Even though you're with your family, you're sitting in the back with this guitar and you kind of feel a little alone, I would say. Oh, for sure. And that's mixed with the point that he doesn't want to leave them alone because that episode he has just, he feels that if they separate, it's going to be his fault if something happens. Yeah, that's some deep shit, man. Jenny, you're at the steering wheel. You've had a crazy night. Found out a lot about your clan. A lot about what's tied to it. You find out you have power over others, but there's others that creep you out even still, though, when you have power. You're seeing Abigail and Jake kind of having this weird breakdown a little bit. What's going on in your head right now? Jenny feels a little bit of conflict. On the one hand, she is so proud of who she is right now. And she doesn't understand why Jake and now Abigail are kind of resisting their nature. She really does see people as nothing more than cattle. So she sees them as expendable. Jake, it frustrates her because she just can't get through to him. But she thought that Abigail was at least coming into her own. And she sees her sudden fear and hesitation as a possible setback. So Jenny feels, as kind of the matriarch of the pack, that she's sort of failing Jake and Abigail, either not by leading well enough through example or by not helping them in the way that Linda can by talking to them and helping them to sort their feelings. But to her, it sort of seems that Linda helps them, but in a way that sets them back. She helps them towards humanity and that human mindset rather than understanding we are above them. So she's frustrated kind of at all three of them for different reasons. She's frustrated at herself. And the more she drives, the less anxiety she has about getting to their destination because she's eager to do something that will get her mind off of this. The one thing that's really just 
kind of stuck in her head right now is that she has to, at the end of the night, go back to this seedy individual and give him her blood. That's something that she hasn't done before. And just the thought of his greasy mouth anywhere near her is just really triggering her. So she's trying to figure out a way to just cut herself, maybe give it to him in a spoon. I don't know. But she's having a rough time with the idea of sharing her blood with this nasty man. And that's currently what's on her mind. You find yourself getting off this highway as Abigail's pointing at exit, exit 62. As you get off exit 62, you feel the vehicle curving a little bit off this off-ramp. You feel that you have good control of it. You slowly get off this off-ramp and you start going down the street and you look to the left to the right and you see these businesses along both sides of the street. Most of them are shut down, but you see some neon signs. You see this Walmart as you drive by, then you see like a dentist shop and you see other kind of shops to the left and right. This has a feel of like where you came from in New York. You can find areas like this all ingrained into the American environment, into the American landscape. Your minivan traverses the street like it belongs, even though the hours are different. And slowly as you are looking, Abigail, out the window, you see that this address comes upon this strip mall that's kind of at the end of the street. But it's an abandoned strip mall. You see that there's a parking lot with no vehicles. You see that there are huge snow drifts that are in this parking lot and two street lights. You see on the strip mall, it looks like there could perhaps be like four businesses, but you see on three of the doors as you roll into the parking lot for lease signs on the front. And you can see one with a very dim light within it, but you can't make out too much as you pull in front of it. What are you doing? Jenny, I, I think that this is it. Hearing Abigail speak kind of snaps Jenny out of her trance and she is suddenly aware of the surroundings and she'll slow down a bit, look over to look at the map and nod and say, I think you're right. I'll find somewhere to park. And you can actually roll up to the front of this last business, which has the address that's in the strip mall. Your van pulls up and you put it into park as your lights pierce within the glass that's not completely frosted over with ice. You see that this looks like it has through the windows, you can see it looks like there's maybe four or five desks. You can see some filing cabinets. You see one fluorescent light that's in the middle. There's like three, but you see like one in the middle is turned on just to give it enough illumination, like when a business is closed. And you see there's no signs or indication of what this business is. You don't see anything like hours, anything like that. You just see that there's like four or five desks in there. If you're enjoying Vampire the Masquerade, Twin Seas by Night Sorrow, and are looking for more Sabbat stories, you can check out our Vampire the Masquerade story, Wars on Fire, which tells the tale of the Pale Riders Pack and takes place on the border of Texas and Mexico. We hope you enjoy.